0: Uh, I don't even know if y'all are awake. That's like, that's like hype music right there. And y'all are just like, okay, celebration. We're going to celebrate a good time, I guess. How are y'all doing? Okay, we'll see. Um, so uh, again, a mandatory announcement. Three, we're starting three services in January. Uh, the, it's funny because usually this room is completely packed. Um, but, you know, if there's a little bit of sprinkling outside, you know, those other heathens don't want to come to church. Not y'all. Y'all are the good ones. <laughs> They're listening right now. Hi, people at home on Facebook talking about you. So um, we were a little bit worried that we weren't going to be able to have Fall Fest because that rain, the, it was supposed to pour down rain on Tuesday. But now it looks like that's going to be tomorrow. So Fall Fest is back on. Fall Fest is our... See, we're going to have games and candy and inflatables and more, and it's going to be super fun. If You can still volunteer to come and help. Uh, you do that by going on their website, and you can sign up. Um, or um, even if you're not going to be able to volunteer, just come and check the events out. It's, it's really awesome. The kids love it. The adults love it. The people that volunteer love it. It is a super great, fun time, so please, please, please um, come to that, Okay. Okay, so now it's time for the culture update. Y'all ready? (laughs) For those of you that don't know, we do a little culture update before the message every week and just kind of talk about what's going on in the world. Uh, America has begun airstrikes against Iran in case we needed another war. Um, So we're now in a war in Ukraine. We're in a war in the Middle East. And very soon we'll be in a war in Taiwan when China sees how weak America is and decides to go ahead and invade Taiwan. Um, So I have many opinions about that, but I'm not going to give you those opinions. If you want to know my opinions, you can come ask me later. Um, But I do want to point out something that we need to be aware of. There are two major ways that the enemy lies when there's a war, or the media, there's propaganda out there. Uh, One is they report false actuals based on real narratives. So they have this narrative that is happening, and they they report things like this is what happened, and then or they something really happens, and then they tell you a different story that actually goes along with that that thing that that actually happened. So, for us to figure out what's really going on, obviously we can't trust the media, right? right. But let me tell you guys, you can absolutely trust the media. Whatever the media says, believe the exact opposite. <laughs> like it's almost exactly opposite if whenever they say they speak it's like all they speak is lies and so all we have to do is find out what they're saying it's it's like opposite day every day and we just believe the opposite of what they say so what we need to do is find out what what the, the what is the story that's being spun and then we need to act accordingly we know what the truth is your enemy your spiritual enemy satan does the exact same thing he 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 tries to get you to believe something that is not true. And he says that it is true. And he, he makes you not see what is actually happening because you believe this lie about what is actually happening. Or something will actually happen that is in one direction. And then he'll spin the story to say that actually that didn't happen. This is what's happened. And he tricks you. We have to act accordingly. We cannot fall into those traps. We know that Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So we have to be people that are ready to see what is actually truly happening. We have to be sharp. We have to be wise. So whenever the enemy speaks, his native language is lies. So we, have to, we cannot trust that. And it's almost identical in the media that their, their native language is lies. So we have to be sharp, and we have to know what truth looks like, right? Y'all with me? All right, previously on the Gospel of John, we're only on the 73rd message of the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 17 today. Can y'all believe how time is flying? I looked back to see, I was like, I wonder when that started. It was the third week of October of 21. Not last year, in case you thought it was last year. It wasn't. It was two years ago. So, um, happy birthday. <laughs> Uh, so Jesus, uh, what's going on right now previously is uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's warning them about the trouble that's to come. And, and he's uh, actually all of chapter 17 is a prayer and it's called the, the high priestly prayer because it's Jesus praying. Um, and some people actually call it the Lord's prayer. Um, but whenever, we say, whenever I say the Lord's prayer, you automatically think of a different prayer, right? How does that one start? Our Father, see, look, no, we're not a Catholic church. Calm down. Um, so, what? <laughs> so, what happens is, um, they ask Jesus, "Teach us to pray," and He says, "Okay, pray like this." And people take that to mean pray this, and it's not. I mean, it's not that it's saying the Lord's prayer, or reciting the Lord's prayer. It's not bad, but that's not what Jesus meant by pray like this when He says, "Pray." pray like this, he means this is the model, this is how it's supposed to look when you pray. And so when you say, our Father who art in heaven, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, he's given you the, the design of what prayer looks like. So um, the, that prayer often throughout church history was called the disciples' prayer. And not the Lord's Prayer, but we somehow got switched to the Lord's Prayer. So in chapter 17, there's three sections. Um, the first part, Jesus prays for himself. It's verses 1 through 5, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And then the second part, Jesus, it's verse 6 through 19. We'll talk about that next week. And Jesus is praying for his disciples. And then the last part, where Jesus prays for you, literally He is praying for you, and that's the last part in verses 20 through 26. So three weeks, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 17, unless y'all listen slower, and then it might be four, okay? It's up to you how fast we go through this. So uh, today we'll be in John 17, verses 1 through 5, and it might be the heading in your Bible might say Jesus prays for himself, or it might just say um, the high priestly prayer or something like that. So... Verse one, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. That is focused, he's focused on prayer. Now, for for many of us, I, I've told y'all this a lot of times because I'm not a good pastor. Thank you. Thank you. If you're listening on the podcast, you didn't hear the person say, "We know." Um, so, uh, and then the reason I say that is because I'm not good at praying. Like some people I know, will say I can pray for hours. I'll just sit there and I'll pray for a whole hour. I can't pray for five minutes, okay? And and unless I'm really focused, and and I do this often, I'll really focus in. But if I just say oh, I'm going to pray, I will not like I'll get to our Father who art in what was I doing? And then they're like, where are my keys? <laughs> I can't focus. I'm, I have to really decide that I'm going to focus on it. What, ha- what tends to happen with us, even if you're a really good prayer, is we, get, we stand so close to our, our problems that all we can see is our problems. And we can't see, our eyes are supposed to be focused. Where were Jesus' eyes focused? That was a back click. Um, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. Okay. Where were Jesus' eyes focused? Heaven. heaven. So Jesus was focused on heaven. Y'all knew that. Y'all are ready with that. That's good. And. Uh, so he, he wasn't focused on, on the problems. A lot of times our eyes, when we're praying, our eyes can be focused on others and what others need to do. In Matthew 6, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Have you ever been praying with someone in a group And you're like, man, that sounds really good. And it's just a genuine, sincere prayer. And it's like, wow, I wish I could pray like that. Yes? Have you ever been in a group with people and you're like... You know what I'm talking about? You see, I don't have to say anything. You're like, you know what I'm talking about. You're in a group with someone and you're like, you are such a hypocrite. Like, you are the worst person. And you're talking about... That's like terrible... I'm really bad at praying in groups. I'm bad because I am judging your prayer. (laughs) The whole time I'm judging your prayer. And it's okay though, because my turn's coming and your prayer is better than mine. I often pray with other pastors. And let me tell you, let me tell you something about praying with other pastors. They perform, okay? (laughs) They're like, at least I'm not like these other pastors, and we're all, you know, we're holding hands and we're praying. I don't, like, I don't have to impress anyone. I genuinely, I'm not trying to look good for anybody. And so I'll be like, what they said, Lord. And then it's just, you know, we'll just move along. Like, I'm not trying to make this last longer. I'm trying to go eat or something. So we can often be so focused on the other people that are around that that we're, that we, we, don't, we lose our ability to pray and genuinely and focus on heaven because we're trying to impress the people around us. Or we're trying to send a message to somebody else that's in the prayer group, not y'all, other people in other churches. Try to send a message like, Lord, Lord, please help Susie with her breath. <laughs> and then Susie's in the group, and Susie's like... Lord, help me. <laughs> Look, I've prayed with teenagers a lot because I was a youth pastor for a long time. And I've told this story before, so you've probably heard it. But there's this thing that happens in, in prayer where people will talk about the other people in the prayer group, like they're all praying together. And so there's this thing called, it's like prayer gossip, you know? Like prayer gossip, you're, 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 you're bringing up somebody's issues Just because you want to say something about somebody's issues, like oh, we're just praying about it. Okay, you're praying about it. You're not sincere. You're focused on other people, or like so. The uh, we'll be in a group of teenagers, and little like like Becky will be like, Lord, Lord, please have Tommy ask me out to prom. (laughs) And then like all of Becky's friends are like, like Billy's a punk. Like, you don't want to go out with Billy. Like, and so they're thinking, how can we? And so then it gets to the her friend's turn, it's like, Lord, show Becky that Billy is a punk. <laughs> and so, you know, Becky's prayer is like going up to heaven. And then her friend's prayer comes and like shot blocks it back down to earth. <laughs> it's like a total prayer shot block. And it's because you can get not y'all, but like other Christians that are not good Christians, they're not good like y'all. They'll 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 pray and be focused on other people instead of having their eyes focused on heaven. Or our eyes can also be focused on ourselves. Jesus tells this parable like this. He says, and and also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a religious person, one a self-righteous religious person, and the other a low-down, rotten, dirty tax collector, a sinner, IRS agent. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I possess. If we're not careful we can find ourselves not praying with our eyes focused towards heaven. We're just praying to ourselves. We're just making ourselves look good to ourselves because the other people in the group, they don't think you're good, I promise. They think worse of you than you think of yourself. And so we end up really just praying to the mirror and saying, look, God, I am so good. And I saw this thing this week that said, if you're fasting and you're gossiping, go ahead and eat. If you're praying and you're gossiping, shut up. Like, don't waste your time praying. That's not, like, you're just focused on yourself. And you need to get over that. Our eyes should be on heaven. And when I say our eyes should be on heaven, I don't mean physically stare at the ceiling when you're praying. It's, it, it means that our hearts are pointed toward heaven. In a prayer that Jesus commended, the second half of that parable, it says this. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's his whole prayer. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I can tell you, in, those, in, those two, in this parable, when I see the, the righteous man praying and I see the tax collector, I resonate with the tax collector. I am unworthy to be in the presence of a holy and loving God. And I get to, and he listens to me. Like, I don't know why does he listen to me? Like, I haven't earned that at all. It's not about focusing your eyes. and It's about having a, a, a prayer posture of a heart that is pointed toward heaven. And I, uh, I, I heard this story about these three pastors that are in his coffee shop, and they're talking about the perfect posture, physical posture of prayer. And the first pastor's like, I think the best possible posture to have, the best way to focus on the Lord is if you get on your knees, you're kneeling and you're praying. That's the best way for God to hear you. And then the second pastor says, no, I think standing with your arms raised, that's the best way for you to, to, to hear, hear God and have God hear you. And the third guy says, no, laying face down is the best way. And there's a guy that's listening. He's a phone repairman. And he says, he says actually, I've, uh, in my experience, the in my, my most intense time of prayer was when my safety strap broke and I was hanging upside down. So hanging upside down from a light pole is the best <laughs> possible posture for prayer. And it's not so much like, it's not the position of your body that is, it's, it's the attitude of your heart. And so a lot of times your physical position in prayer helps. If, you will, if you'll stop and you'll get on your knees in your living room or next to your bed and you'll actually take the physical position of prayer, it will help you to point your heart to heaven. But sometimes your most intense time of prayer is when you're driving. Sometimes your most intense time of prayer is when you're in the shower. Sometimes it's when you're about to slap your kid. Like it can be... It, it can be, what, might, maybe your posture is this, like you're, you're leaning in and you have your hand raised, you're turning your hips to make sure you get the speed. You know. It could be in any position, but it's when your heart and your attitude is pointed toward heaven, right? So he says, the hour, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. The hour has come. We've talked over and over in the Gospel of John about the hour in, in verse 13. Um, 30, uh, chapter seven, verse 30, it says, therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. This is after he had fed 5,000, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The hour started back. Do you remember a long time ago when we were in chapter 12? That's five chapters ago. So that was probably like last year sometime. So in chapter 12 is when this hour that we're in now, that's when this hour started. It said, um, the hour has come that the Son of Man shall be glorified in in 1223. That hour started when Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem on that Sunday. And then it will end, his hour will end when Jesus is rising from the grave is no longer dead. And so in verse two, it says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now, this theme is all the way through his prayer about the, the ones the father has given to Jesus it's in verse 2 and verse 6 and verse 9 and verse 11 and 12 and also in verse 26 over and or in verse 24 over and over and over he's talking about the ones that God gave to Jesus we have eternal life because of the act of the father choosing us and giving us to Jesus that is a biblical truth that God chose us and gave him and gave us to Jesus so you may have heard of this is a really big part of what is called Calvinism. And Calvinists believe that um, that really you have no choice in the matter at all, that God chose you, and so if God chose you, you are going to heaven, and you will pick Jesus at some point, but, you're, but you really don't have any choice in the matter. I don't read the Bible that way. I don't see that, that that's a true... By itself, in the Bible that way, so one of the greatest mysteries to me in the Bible is that we have been chosen by God. if I was picking i wouldn't pick me <laughs> like like if we if it was a heavenly like kickball game i ain't picking me like i'm picking there are so many people that are better than me I would pick There's many of you, not all of you, just to be clear. There are many of you that I would pick to be on the heavenly kickball team. And it's not about your kickball skills. It's about your heavenly skills. But God has chosen me. Jesus said that we couldn't come to him unless the Father chose us first. So in in verse uh, 44 of chapter 6, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And you may say, but I thought that we receive eternal life when we make the choice to follow Jesus. Doesn't the Bible say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, all caps and big red letters, I even space the letters out, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Does it mean that if we believe in the son, then we have eternal life. So we make that choice. So how does that happen? Who chooses who? Who chooses who? So it says in, uh, in 37 through, uh, through 40, all that, both ideas are right here in this, in this little section. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Everyone that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up in the last day. So God chooses us. And we choose Him right here in just this section of Scripture. So the Father gives a person to Jesus. God chooses us. And eternal life comes when a person responds by choosing to believe Jesus. We fail when we choose to believe only one of these two very clear biblical truths. You can't only believe one. How is it possible then? There's a fact that the Bible Has a it's a biblical truth on both sides of this that God chooses us and we choose Him. How's but how can that be that both look? You just need to chill, okay? (laughs) Both of these things are true, and if we know that if it's a parallel line, it's a straight line that all biblical truth never contradicts itself, so those two lines will never contradict, they'll never cross. The Bible teaches that God chooses us and that we choose him. So Charles Spurgeon said this. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most intelligent people to ever live. He said, in heaven, there's a big sign hanging over the gates of heaven that reads, whosoever will come. But once you pass through the gates, if you turn around and look back, you will see another sign on the inside of the gates that reads, chosen before the foundations of the world. These two parallel lines that are both true. Never intersect. So this is all you have to do. Like, how is that possible? How? How can that be? I don't understand. It's okay. Don't understand then. Just be fine. People have asked me this same thing multiple times, and I'm like, "Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how it can be. I, I have no idea. And it's okay to not know because if someone tells you that they do know, you can be you can rest assured, they don't. It's not possible for us to know. As a matter of fact, whatever truth you feel like you fully know, you haven't even scratched the surface. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than what you think you know right now. Even if I don't understand, I'm going to believe that the Bible is true and everything that it says is true. And if those two things are both true, I'm just going to have to trust that the Bible is right. Right? Y'all with me? So, Here's the question then. How do I know if I've been chosen by God? Here, this is the simplest thing. The way that you can know if you are chosen by God is by choosing to believe in Jesus. And that's how you'll know if you're chosen. As soon as you choose to believe in Jesus, you will be chosen from the beginning of time, from before you were ever born. You will be chosen. So if you wonder... What about this other person that I'm I've been witnessing to for years. I've been trying to get them to come to church. I've been trying to get them to come to Jesus. Like how what do I do? Like how do I know if they've been chosen? It doesn't matter. Preach the gospel. If you preach the gospel to a tree, it's going to be a good practice for you. And it's not going to hurt you. Probably. You may get locked up. I don't know what's going to happen, okay? <laughs> But if you can preach the gospel to a tree, and it's actually gonna, it's, it truly will make you better at preaching the gospel just because you said the words more. You're about to hear the gospel fully preached in just a few minutes. So you preach the gospel to all creation, whether they're chosen or not. You'll know that they're chosen as soon as they choose. You okay with that? Doesn't matter. I mean, what I meant to say, I didn't, that, That sounded rude. I meant to say, I don't care if you believe it. So (laughs) I just want to make sure I'm clear. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. When we think of eternal life, we think of heaven. Eternal life isn't just heaven. Whenever we think of heaven, like Hollywood has done us a really bad job of describing heaven. When you think of heaven, you think of clouds, and fat babies with like harps, right? The little fat babies with the wings. You don't know what I'm talking about? And the arrows and the poof. So we don't, that's not, whenever we think of eternal life, eternal life is like heaven is part of it. Obviously heaven is part of it. That's where we're going to reside. But it's not about heaven. It's about knowing God. That's the ultimate is knowing God. That is how, your eternal life, guys, if you know Jesus, your eternal life has already started. Isn't that great? See, we think that eternal life starts when we die. No, 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 that's, that's a different, like it's just gonna continue. Your eternal life started whenever you said, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna turn away from my way and I'm gonna follow you. That's when your, your eternal life started. Heaven is a part of the deal, but our focus really should be on knowing God. And knowing him more, how many of you know who the governor of Texas is? Yeah, we know who that is. Oh, Greggy. How many of you, like, you know who the governor is? Not only do you know who the governor is, you actually know him, like your friends. No one. So you can know about someone, but that doesn't mean you know them. Everyone in here knows about Jesus you know who he is. You can probably recite facts about him. It doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. It doesn't mean you know him. Whenever you actually know him and he calls, you immediately recognize his voice. If my wife calls, like, pretend caller ID isn't a thing, and my wife calls, I'll be like, hey, and she says, hey. I'm like, hey, what's up? Like, I don't have to say, who is this? If I say, who is this? I'm in trouble. (laughs) I better not. Like how is it? So you just know, because I know her, I spend time with her. I know her voice. She's probably calling to complain <laughs> about me that I've earned, just to be clear. She said, you talk about me every week. I was like, it's only, have I ever said one negative thing about her? No, y'all be listening to me all the time. And she's like, you're just trying to make me look bad. I was like, no, I'm not. how can I make you look bad? It doesn't make any sense. I make me look bad. It's very easy to do. God doesn't just want you to know about Him. He doesn't want you to know facts about Him. He wants you to know Him. And knowing God, is a it's difficult for us to know God because we have this problem. And the problem is that we're all sinners. Before we know Jesus, we're all sinners, every single one of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our sin carries a high price. Oh, I forgot to tell you. This is the gospel. So listen to what I'm about to say because you're going to have to say it to people. Like That's your, that's your job is to go and say it to people. Our, uh, the, the high price, our sin carries a high price and that high price is separation from God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the, the price. So if you are employed at Sin Incorporated, you're going to get paid and your payment for being employed at Sin Incorporated is that you have to die. Death. And that death is separation from God for eternity. Separation from God. So for God's justice to be met, someone must pay the price for your sin. Now, if you never, never accept Jesus' gift, then that means you are paying for your sin. And your payment for your sin is eternal separation from God. You can pay for it for yourself, but that means you're going to be in hell forever. The wonderful thing about God's justice is that he allows someone else to pay for your sin. He sends his son to come and pay for your sin. Because if you've ever sinned one time, one little lie is enough to separate you from God for all eternity. Because in order to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God, you too must be perfect and holy. That means you have to be free of sin. You cannot be free of sin in your own strength. It is not possible. To qualify, the person that pays for your sin must be sinless. Because if that person had one sin themselves, then that means that their death would only pay for their own sin. In order for that death to cover more than one person's sins, that means that person would have to be more than human. And there's only been one that is qualified and has lived up to those qualifications of living a life without any sin at all and also being more than human. And that is Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Just because Jesus died on the cross for the world doesn't mean that everyone in the world is automatically saved. God offers the world the gift of salvation, but just like any gift, you have to receive the gift. If somebody hands you a gift, a present, and it's wrapped, remember when people used to wrap presents and not put them in those bags, you lazy people? (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about? And now they just put like, let me just put some garbage on top of it and now you can't see what it is. It's the laziest thing ever, okay? Just wrap it. You wrap it in newspaper, it's okay. I like to open the presents. So anyway, just, that's not part of the gospel just in case you're wondering. If you, don't repeat that part. When someone hands you a, a, a gift that is wrapped and not in a bag, when they hand you that, you, you only receive that when you open it. You don't re, you're not actually receiving it until you take what is inside of it and you, and you take ownership of it and you receive that thing. So an unopened gift is absolutely useless if you don't open it. We need to receive God's gift of salvation. In John 1, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. We receive salvation by faith. In Ephesians, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So what does that look like? It's about opening your heart and making a choice, choosing to believe that Jesus died for your sins, and repenting and putting your life in His hands. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to mess up again. It doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. You probably will. You will. (laughs) You don't have to, though. You now have power over sin because Jesus had power over sin. If you're living your life through him in faith, you don't have to sin. You probably will, though, because you're hard-headed. Not just you, everyone. And so when you put your life into his hands and say, look, I was a sinner, and now I'm free. You're free from the wages of sin, which is death. And you live your life and you walk it out in him. When you mess up, you stand back up, you dust yourself off and you start running for him again. And when you get tripped up, you stand up, you dust yourself off and you start running for him again over and over and over and over. And you get better at it. You really do. You get better at it. Ask some of these old Christians in here. They will tell you. You get better at it. We're still not there. Still not there, but we're getting there, right? All right, verse four and five. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. See, we have our own ideas of what glory is. Whenever we think of glory, we think of heaven. Part of the glory that Jesus is talking about uh, is the glory that he previously had in heaven, the glory that he was going back to. It's the same glory. And so, before being mo- born in a manger, Jesus was in heaven. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the- he was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was, Jesus was, in the beginning with God. Y'all got it? So Jesus after the cross Jesus will go back to where he was before. In Philippians it says, who being in the form of God did not consider it equality did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. Paul connects God's glorifying Jesus not with the resurrection, but Paul connects Jesus being glorified with the cross. Jesus came from glory and he would be returning to glory when the work is finished. Jesus already prayed earlier. We saw, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given. He has already finished the work. God is glorified when you finish the work he's given to you. That is how God is glorified. Now, listen, I'm going to talk about this for a minute. And I know some of you, it's just going to completely go over your head. But some of you, this is going to hit you right in the heart. When God calls you to do something, it is not easy because there are there are multiple levels on which you have to you have to, to follow through with what God has called you to. We live in a disposable society. So like we have d- disposable um, like we have we eat off paper plates so we don't have to wash dishes, right? Like disposable. We eat off a disposable plate. We have disposable diapers. Thank God. Um, and like the, it's just everything in our society is disposable. God has called you to something, and that is not disposable. And if you still have breath in you, He still wants to get you there. No matter what that is, He still wants to get you there. But in our disposable society... Look, I heard someone say it like this. Um, before soil brings life, it kills the seed. So you, you think, like, I have this great thing to do for the Lord, I have this like this prophetic destiny that God has called me to or for you like God has called me to do this thing. And so I'm so focused and so I'm working on this thing and I have to do this thing. It's the most important thing to me that I'm I'm doing this thing that God has called me to. So what I would challenge you with is find soil that will hide you long enough to let the shell break and die. To let that dream to be willing to let that dream even die so that real life can flow because real life can't flow until there is death. A a plant, a seed planted cannot grow and bring life until it dies, completely dies. There are parts of you that still need to die. But even if you're the most sold out person, you love Jesus and you want everything he's called, he is, uh, he's called you to do, Until that gift or that calling or that dream, until you're willing to even let that thing die, you're not ready to be entrusted with it. Because you can get so focused on the thing that God's called you to that you're no longer focused on Him at all. If you're not okay without it coming to pass, maybe ever, then you're not ready to have it. If you need it to happen to be okay, you will worship that thing and you will miss. You may say, no, 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 not me, not me. I will, I will give glory to God all the time, but you will think about the thing that you're called to more than you'll think about Jesus. That's a big deal. It doesn't mean that you don't, being willing to let go of even the dreams God has for you. We have to be willing to let go of everything, And draw close to him. And that gives him glory. Being able to finish the work that he's called you to means you you have to take your hands off of everything. It doesn't mean that you don't want God's will for your life. Obviously you do. But listen to this. God won't share your heart with his assignment for your life. God won't share your heart with his assignment for your life. And a lot of times Christians, well-meaning Christians, can, can fall in love with the assignment God has for their life and fall out of love with the one who gave the assignment. If it comes down, you have to be okay with it being, if it comes down to just God, you, your family, and your Bible, and nothing else, don't worship your calling Worship the one who calls you. We have to finish the race. We have to finish the work that is ahead of us. We have to do everything that he's called us to do. And we have to, we have to learn all of the things in this season that he's, that he's called us to learn. And uh, in, in Hebrews 12, it says this, "'Therefore we also, since we are surrounded "'by so great a cloud of witnesses, "'let us lay aside every weight and the sin "'which so easily ensnares us, "'and let us run with endurance the race "'that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, "'the author and finisher of our faith, "'who for the joy that was set before him "'endured the cross.'" Despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged yourself. Jesus finished his race, and if we look to him, we can finish our race too. Are y'all with me? Sometimes you can say amen. Um, We are together with Jesus in this race. No matter who you are, you're not alone. You're with Jesus, but also. You and I are together. And also, if you look around the room, Life Church New Bromfels, we are together. We have a purpose. We have, God has put us in this community for such a time as this. We have, there's a plan, and we are working that plan. We are doing what He has called us to do, and we are in this together. Never alone. Together. And as times get darker and darker and darker, the light of New Church, Life Church New Braunfels is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. People are going to know where to go when they need hope. It's here. They can walk through our mission statement on the door that says "Welcome," because that's what it is. Welcome. Everyone is welcome. The cross is the 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 finished work, and it is the best work that has ever been done in the history of mankind. Be, be, Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him. Even though the resurrection is very important, Paul connects glory with the cross, not just the resurrection. He connects glory with the cross. In Galatians, he said, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. That rhymes. <laughs> hey, drop a beat. Watch what happens. <laughs> my mixtape's coming out. So. <laughs> my interest in this world has been crucified. That's where we need to get where, look, I don't care what the world thinks of me. I don't care what the world thinks of me because the world doesn't think of me. The world thinks so nothing of me. The world's interest in me has died as well. And so what do you have left? The greatest thing that Jesus ever did was dying for mankind. It wasn't the resurrection. It was dying for mankind. The resurrection, necessary. Obviously, the resurrection is necessary. But Paul talked about, about, he says, all I know, all I choose to know is Christ and him, and him crucified. Not Christ and him crucified and resurrected, though obviously he knew he was resurrected. That was the focus. From the human point of view, Calvary was a revolting display of man's sin. But from the divine point of view, the cross revealed and magnified the grace and glory of God. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he showed us God's great love and compassion for us. And it took care of the greatest problem that we have, which is sin, in the greatest way possible by having someone die in our place. Guys, that's the gospel. That's the whole gospel. That's it. So go and preach that to all creation. Go preach that to the trees if you need to. Practice on the trees. And then... Practice on your coworkers and practice on your family and practice on every single person you interact with. But I want to challenge you. Though the the thing that brought the most glory to God was Jesus dying on the cross, the highest thing Jesus ever did was his lowest point. Could your greatest hurt be your greatest good? Some of you know that this is true, that God works this that way because some of you, the worst thing you're ever going to experience in life has already happened and God's already redeemed it and it's already a good thing. He has already redeemed it completely. For some of you, it's still out ahead. The worst thing that's ever going to happen to you is still coming. So yay. (laughs) We like to think that the greatest glory comes for God when we do something great for him. Often, in this upside-down kingdom that we live in, that God's way of doing things, our greatest glory, might actually come from our greatest pain. If you don't believe me, look at what Paul said. Paul said, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Paul, pretty holy guy, Paul, the Lord allowed something bad to be in Paul's life. You may have gone to churches and heard other preachers say, if anything bad happens to you, you just pray that to be, get out of there, and that will have to get out of there. You speak it into existence, and it will come. You just, you, you, you just name it and claim it, and it will be yours. Look, eh, some of the Bible says, sorry. Please don't stand up and say that to the person when they're preaching that because they will remove you from that church. I've heard. Sometimes, not only does God allow discomfort, sometimes He causes discomfort. God, the God who loves you. And I can prove that even you do that. Remember when your kids were being bad? You caused discomfort, even though you love your kids. You don't love your kids, not even close to how much God loves your kids or loves you. And you caused your kids discomfort in order for them to not become proud in Paul's case. So he allowed the thorn in the flesh to to keep him from becoming proud. Paul says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in hardships and in persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you want to be strong in the Lord? Wait, don't answer that. Don't answer that yet. Do you want to be strong in the Lord? When you are weak, then you are strong. And it doesn't mean weak like, oh, I'm just not being strong. Need to do more burpees. That's not not that kind of weak. It's when you have the thorn in your flesh, when you are uncomfortable in any direction you look, you know the Lord is there. But it doesn't seem like he is, because why would if, if I'm following God so close, why do bad things keep happening? Maybe it's to keep you from becoming proud. Not you like other churches. In the King James Version, Paul says, he says it says it like this, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities. Glory, there's glory again glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When you glory in the infirmities, that's when Christ's power can be manifest in your life. In Paul's life, his great thorn in his flesh was the thing that brought him closest to the Lord. And if you will be honest with yourself, the time when you were closest to the Lord was probably your hardest time in your entire life. But you don't pray for that. You want to be close to the Lord without without that, like I can be close to the Lord without that, right? You can, you won't, but you can. And for this, for his, for his weakness, for his brokenness, for his persecution, for him being beaten, he was grateful and he gloried in it. So think twice before cursing the discomfort that you have in your life because maybe God's using that discomfort to draw you closer to him and maybe he's using that thing to sharpen you and maybe he's using that thing to make you shine. It's it's very uncomfortable and maybe it's that very thing that God wants to use in your life to make you a fully devoted follower of Christ. Life Church, may we be people who are bringing God glory in the sunshine and in the rain. Amen. God, you are so good. We don't understand how you could love us sinners. We don't understand how you could love us even though we wrestle and fight. We would rather fight you for something that we don't even really want than take what you give that we need. And Lord, we just ask that you would draw us close That the things that we have put between you and us, even if it's the calling with which you have called us, we take our hands off, Lord. And we give it all to you. We thank you that you have us together as a group that Life Church New Braunfels was called to this community for this time. Lord, we lift up this event that we're having Tuesday, that people would truly see it as a light in the community, that unsaved people would not even know why they're drawn to this place, and that they would come into a relationship with you. We pray for salvations. We pray that this place would be enticing for them so that they can come into a relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys.